This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. It is great to be back together with you this morning. Before we jump into the message, there are a couple things that I want us to celebrate in the life of our church. The first is, I don't know if you are aware, we had a team go down to Guatemala with Bridge of Hope, our great partners down there, and I got word, I haven't talked to anyone from the team yet, but I got word they made it back much later than they expected last night, uh, but they are doing well, and the mission of building homes, 10 homes uh, in these villages for widows and orphans was accomplished, and so I want to ask you just to put your hands together and thank God for bringing them home safe and for using them so, so good. And then the next announcement, well, it's a happy, sad day. I'm going to invite Christine Cry to come up, and you're going to put your hands together. Go ahead and put your hands together now for her. Yes. <laughs> we have been so blessed as a church. Christine has been our children's director. She's been part of our staff for the last nine years. And man, I'm going to get choked up just thinking about uh, the impact she has made here in our church. She absolutely loves your kids. She loves more than anything for your kids getting to know Jesus. Uh, but she has decided to step away from this position. Uh, she's not leaving our church, but she's entering a new chapter in her life to focus on her health and to focus on her family. We couldn't be uh, more blessed by her and more grateful. Uh, we support her in this decision. We're just going to be sad to not have you. Let me just tell you, she is the life of the party when it comes to our staff. She is the most fun to be with and to just serve with. And so we're grateful. Um, she's not getting away super easy. We're going to have a party for her in the square between services, giant cards, invite everyone to go on in there, write a little note for Christine. We also have a gift for you this morning. Um, this is not light. So here you go. This is a gift for you. And uh, we want to thank you. You're not leaving the church, so we're going to get to say hi to you many, many times. Uh, but could you again put your hands together and thank Christine for all that she's done. Love you, my friend. Well, if you've been with us, it's been uh, a, a pretty full past six weeks. We've been trying to look at these world religions and trying to understand how we cross paths with people who believe differently than us, calling it crossroads. And I've been incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to teach you these world religions. I've gotten feedback from so many people how much they've learned and enjoyed this. And if you've missed anything in the series, uh, you can always go back. You can check us out online on the Bridgeway app. And all these videos are forever and ever on YouTube. What I wanted to do today is kind of go through, I guess I would call it the smaller, uh, maybe more regionally based influential and pervasive worldviews. Uh, by that I mean we've covered all the biggies. Uh, we've covered Judaism. We looked last week at this beautiful tradition that traces its roots back through Christianity and, and really leaves you wanting more, leaves you wanting the answer, which we have in the Savior of Jesus Christ. We've looked at uh, what I would call the Eastern religions, the third largest religion in the world, Hinduism and Buddhism, kind of the pantheist view that God is in everything. We've looked at uh, Islam, actually, in a couple of different messages, we've looked at uh, the Muslim faith and their view of Allah, and then uh, we also looked at Mormonism. Today, again, smaller, regionally based, influential, and I will stay over and over, a pervasive set of worldviews. Uh, we're actually going to hit not one, 
You ready for this? We're going to go through four of these today. We're going to hit Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Scientology. Those are different. And then a broad category kind of catch-all that I'm labeling as skeptics. Uh, Maybe another way to say it is if I haven't offended you yet, just give me time. I'll get to all these worldviews. And my point is not to be offensive, but rather my point is to give you anchors as Christians to hold on to and to know the major differences about what you and people of other faith traditions believe. In fact, um, I'm going to start with kind of a, a saying that I think really holds true for what these other world religions want to do. And my hope this morning is that you will hold tightly to the message of Jesus. The, the saying that kind of kept coming to me all this week is, is really an old saying. Have you heard the saying, everything but the kitchen sink? Have you heard that saying before? Um, let me just tell you, men, this is where we end up. Uh, in your 20s and 30s, you were real witty and humorous. And then in your 30s, men, something happened. You devolved into dad jokes. And then you get to be my age, and you end up just repeating these old sayings. I don't even know why. Like, like I've said to myself, like, Katie, bar the door. I don't even know what that means. Or, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, I don't even know where that, what that means. Well, this one, I actually know what this means. Everything but the kitchen sink is kind of an old uh, World War I and World War II slogan that got started across the pond over in the UK. And it was uh, during the time when the British were trying to continue the fight against uh, Hitler and Nazi Germany, and they were running low on supplies. So the military would literally go door to door, and they would demand you give them uh, any, anything in your home that had, like, metal in it. So you would have to give up things like your bed, your ironing board, anything that had metal in it. And at some point, the homeowner would sort of like, kind of like fall on their knees and in desperation say, no, take everything, everything but this fixture that is central to the home, where life kind of revolves around the kitchen sink. Think about it. You, you make your meals at the kitchen sink. Back in that day, you didn't just wash your dishes. You, watch, you washed your laundry in the kitchen sink. To give up the kitchen sink meant that there was no hope. You had given up kind of the last, the last of what you had to offer. And that's my hope in this series because I feel as though these worldviews, these other world religions, at, at some point are begging you to give up this central fixture in your faith. And my hope throughout this series has been to teach and expose and to point out the errors and the thinking in these other worldviews so that you would not give up that message, that gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's been my hope. And again, I feel as though it's unavoidable in life. You will come in contact. You will cross roads with people who, when you say God and they say God, you mean very different things. And I'll just tell you from personal experience, sometimes that crossroads can feel, well, more like a crossfire. And conversations and maybe discussions can tend to get a little heated and a little targeted. And my hope is that you would remember not just what you learned, but you would remember this idea of of not giving up, continuing to defend the faith and also contend for it. In fact, I kind of hope this morning that you would have sort of like one verse that would kind of just roll around throughout your spirit and throughout your mind and that this verse would be your response to all of these worldviews that are, are trying to take the gospel from you. In fact, it's about the gospel. It's found in Romans 
chapter 1, and it's verse 16. This is going to be the verse we cover today. I'm going to come back to it over and over. These are the words of Paul, and he writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Um, This is the message. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I think that's the message that the world needs to hear, that as Christians, we're not ashamed. This is, in fact, this is the power that brings us salvation. We've spent some time, in fact, I've been linking this series to a series we did back in October where we looked at the idea of the gospel through the book of Galatians. And the message there was the same, that there were people and belief systems, there were counterfeit gospels that were trying to steal from this young church uh, their faith and belief in Jesus. And Paul is over and over again telling them, don't do it, don't give up, contend for this faith. I, I hope that this is the verse that when you open your Bible, it's the one that's underlined. I would hope that if you've got a Bible app on your phone, uh, that this is the verse that you've maybe highlighted. Or maybe, maybe even now, during this sermon, you take out your phone and you just snap a picture of this slide and you commit this verse to memory because this needs to be our response. In fact, I'll tell you that I think in our world, it's, it's very hard to stand up for the gospel. In fact, I'll say it differently. It's very easy in our day to kind of just go with the culture, to kind of just go with where society is going. It's much harder to stand in that current. It's easy to be, as I've said, an evangelifish, right, where you just kind of go with the flow. It's much harder to stand against it and to, at times, in love, say, no you're wrong, and this is what it means to be a Christian. My, my hope is that you would have that steel in your spine to do that. So what I want to do today is, again, look at these smaller religions, and my hope over and over would be you would stand up. You would know that the power of God is in the gospel message of Jesus, not in these other, again, small religions. So let's go rapid fire through some of these. I got a lot of ground to cover this morning. But the first is Jehovah's Witnesses. Now again, I had planned on spending a whole morning talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, and I found in my prep that, well, after I did the message on Mormonism, I I would have ended up repeating a lot of the same things I said about Mormonism, a man-made religion uh, that is very works-based. And again, you can see just from this slide, Jehovah's Witnesses are a man-made religion. It's not even that old. It was started uh, by a guy named Charles Taze Russell, In the late 1800s, the work got picked up by a guy named Joseph Rutherford. He kind of continued it. Uh, Primarily East Coast, Brooklyn, New York-based, Brooklyn area-based religion. And again, highly influential. Uh, My hunch is you've probably seen these guys, right? I mean, they've been on your doorstep. They've maybe knocked on your door. and, uh, And they have a message that they specifically want to share with Christians, What's interesting to me is I've, I've always wondered, I've never had a Jehovah's Witness be able to explain to me what the appeal is because their view of salvation is in my mind very limited. Uh, that's kind of the idea of the 144,000 anointed ones. They view that salvation is already sealed. Like there's only 144,000 getting in. And the really troubling part about this is that has already been chosen. It's already been sealed. In fact, their council picked that um, just prior to 1914. So it's kind of like, I kind of wonder, like, well, what's the appeal to someone today? This is sort of, I don't know, if you're 
if you're late getting out to the playground at recess and the teams have already been picked, it's like, hey, what about me? Well, you're not on a team. In fact, your best hope as a Jehovah's Witness today is that you can be counted among the great crowd, that's their language, that remain on earth. Um, it requires that you live obedient, obediently in sharing their message, and your hope is that um, you can live obediently for a thousand years. Your life is capped at a thousand years, and then they believe in annihilation, meaning your, your soul is ultimately destroyed. They have a very different view on Jesus. Again, they don't even mean the same thing. They believe that Jesus, uh, before he came to earth, was the archangel Michael, and he had a brother named Lucifer. So you kind of have this very different view. In Jehovah's Witness, there is no concept of the Trinity. As Christians, we believe that God is our Father, God is also Spirit, and God is the Son, Jesus. Um, three separate essences that are the God that we worship. In their view, that is not the case. There is God, that is Jehovah, and then God had two sons, Jesus and Satan, and they are on a equal playing field. All of this comes from their watchtower. That's kind of their primary teaching. I was on their website. I had a hard time determining exactly how often the watchtower comes out. It looks like in some times, some periods it was quarterly, in other periods it was annually. They also, um, they also, if you have a conversation with them and you say, well, I believe the Bible, they will say, well, I believe the Bible too, um, but you need to kind of dig at what they mean by that. Their translation of the Bible uh, is one. They have one translation of the Bible. It's called the uh, New World Translation. Um, I'll just say it is not a scholarly, there's no scholar that would um, allow you to consider the New World as a reputable translation. In fact, um, every reference in the original manuscripts to Jesus as either God or Savior or Messiah have been removed. Um, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's not a true version of the Bible. In fact, if you like Bible apps and you go on version, you won't find the New World Translation. It is, that says something about um, the validity of that translation. Uh, if you end up in conversations, I think one of the things you'll quickly determine is is what they don't believe. Um, they stand kind of in opposition. They don't believe in uh, holidays. Uh, they don't observe holidays. They don't observe birthdays. In fact, I've had some conversations, people who have kind of made their way into the church. Uh, they've made their way into baptism classes that I've taught. They've, I've, I've had some Jehovah's Witnesses in membership class. And kind of the telltale sign is they become kind of agitated and argumentative when it comes to things like the tradition of celebrating Christmas as we would celebrate the birth of Jesus and celebrating Easter's coming up, the resurrection of Jesus. I've had conversations and with one person in particular that got very, very agitated and angry with me and, and kind of called what we do here as a pagan religion. I asked the person, are you a Jehovah's Witness? The person wouldn't admit it, but it was very clear that they were. Um, they also, they don't salute, they don't vote, they don't salute the flag, and they don't serve in the military, which frankly just makes me kind of angry uh, when I think of the freedom that we have in this country. Um, but it also, they make me very sad uh, because they are very clearly uh, deceived and in darkness. Um, they are, in my opinion, sheep without a shepherd, and that's very sad to think that they, where they're going. Um, I think we need to be love and grace and kindness when we speak to them, as we always should. 
But I'm your pastor, and I'm going to just tell you that I, I also uh, would ask you to have a real sense of, of just caution. Um, there are sins that we need to, to kind of just stay away from, and there are, there are unholy spirits that we need to reject. We, we need to love sinners, but we need to reject unholy spirits, and I truly believe that this religion is, is one of them. In fact, um, a lot of this, for me, comes, comes down to what they teach, and in all likelihood, I don't know if they're going door-to-door quite as much as they used to. In fact, I got a letter in the mail just before I started this sermon series, and I opened it up because I thought it was from someone I knew because it, was, it came from a Terry, and I know a couple Terrys, and I got literally, it wasn't from the Terry I knew, I got literally a handwritten letter and a tract, and sure enough, I turned it over, and it said on the back, do you want to discuss the Bible with a Jehovah's Witness? I said, well, I'd like to discuss my Bible with them, but this is just actually their their marketing material, and I'm not going to read the letter because I don't want to give it uh, credence in the time I have here, but when you read through their work, you really get a sense of kind of what's controlling them. Everything is about Satan. Do you know who really controls the world? Satan. Do you know where evil is? Do you know where all lies come from? And it's this obsession with Satan and the enemy and the talk about it that I'm just going to simply say it's sort of like a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Um, There's sort of like this type of religion that talks a lot about Satan. The problem is Satan. The problem in our world is Satan. Come to our religion, which is actually just darkness that's masquerading as the light. Now, again, I truly believe they need the message and the gospel of Jesus. If you have conversations with them, one of the things I would do is, is to say, hey, can you, can you maybe come back? Can we maybe set up a time to talk about this? Uh, they've spent their entire life preparing to have conversations with Christians. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you've heard one sermon. <laughs> you've heard this message. And so if you're going to engage and talk with them, which I do believe we should be doing, you should be prepared because, again, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation. Next category is kind of this twofer in the fact that we have both Christian science and Scientology, kind of these two religions uh, that are very different but operate on a lot, of, a lot of the same basis. In fact, you could say of these as well, man-made, created religions. I'll start with Christian science, uh, founded by Mary Baker Eady back in the 1800s. Uh, she was from Boston, Massachusetts. And again, you need to think of this and have a discerning eye. Christian science. They've done some marketing, right? They've done a lot of marketing to get this name out there as Christian in science. I would argue there is no Christian in it. To them, um, God is simply this principle of life. And God matters. Uh, God is all that is real, but nothing else that you see is real. So matter, like wood, metal, those sort of things, uh, that's just an illusion. In fact, It's not only an illusion, but so is sin and evil and sickness. None of that is real. And the mind trick that you need to go through is you need to actually believe uh, that in Christian science, salvation is, hey, you're already saved. All you have to do is believe that all of this world is immaterial, illusionary. In fact, even to the point of your own human condition. Um, What you need in Christian science is what they call a practitioner. 
Um, this is another word for healer. And in their view, the healer's role is to get you to understand that your sickness is not real. It's just simply in your mind. Um, I just, I'm going to say very clearly because I deal with people who are sick and suffering and looking for answers all of the time. And to tell someone that that is just an illusion is, is pastoral malpractice. Um, that is just not treating people with the care and the kindness of how they were created as human beings. In God's image, Jesus suffered. We have Jesus as our sympathizer, our compassionate person to come alongside of us. This religion just simply says it's not real. That's why if you know anyone who practices Christian science, I knew someone in high school who did, and it was just so sad. They, they didn't go to the doctor. They didn't take medications. They are against surgeries. And again, I, I would say this is a religion that preys on the minds and the bodies of the ill. Scientology is different, but I think you'll see that it operates very differently. It, it kind of came along later. You could really label this more as a New Age religion. It started by a guy named L. Ron Hubbard in uh, California. In fact, it had a huge sort of uh, upswell in the late 80s. In fact, I can remember being a kid, and we had this book. This is kind of their Bible, the book Dianetics. I remember we had this book on our coffee table for a while. I don't know if we weren't into Dianetics, but I think it was there as something that was read. Um, in the Scientology view, uh, you're actually your energy, and that's this word Phaeton. You're kind of this immortal energy. Again, you're hearing the new age aspect of this. Um, this energy that has, well, limited powers. So think superhero, but sort of like JV superhero. Like you're not fully blessed with all these powers, but you've got some power. And again, in this view, in Scientology, there's no sin, there's no evil, there's no sickness, there's just energy. But you have to work with someone in Scientology to kind of unlock these energy stores inside of you. And that's this idea of an auditor. And they use electronics and gadgetry. And I wanted to show some of the pictures, but again, I'm trying to be very respectful this morning, but you need an auditor to come and to help you understand kind of your energy level and to bridge you to freedom. That's their language. Uh, probably the most famous Scientologist is Tom Cruise. I, I looked all over the internet to try to find something that maybe would indicate that he's not, but the latest would say that he's still an adherent to Scientology and on the record as saying uh, it's a tool that I use. Um, again, I would put this in the category of counterfeit, false religion. Salvation, again, is not a science experiment. Salvation is, again, this thing that we're not ashamed of. It's the power of God that brings salvation into our lives. Last group is the group that I'm just going to call skeptics. And this is kind of a hard group of people to put your finger on because they're sort of all over the map, and I've kind of tried to label sort of three primary groups of people that would fit in this camp. Now, probably very few people would say, well, I'm a, I'm a diehard atheist, or I'm agnostic, or I'm a moralist. But these would be the categories you would use to describe people who are just skeptical of religion. And I'll be fair in saying that you can be a skeptic and not just be skeptical of Christianity. In fact, probably the hardest line group are the atheists, and they're skeptical of all religions. Every single one of them that we've studied. Skeptics are kind of hard to figure out. Um, one 
uh, one study would say that in the United States, our population is full of about 20% uh, skeptics. And I think that number is kind of low. George Barna, who I've quoted throughout this series, he would say that the most troubling news is that the skeptic as a category has doubled in size over the last 25 years. We're not getting more religious, we're actually getting more skeptical of religion. So let's take atheists first. These uh, people are more hardline, and they are convinced, they have the conviction that, that God is not real. There is no God to the atheists. That's kind of the strong stance they take. And they can tend to be very, very smart people um, that sort of get toxic towards any religion and all religions. In fact, kind of one of the main proponents of atheism, someone that uh, gets referred and mentioned a lot, is a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins. Uh, he's written a book called The God Delusion. I've read it. It's fascinating. I mean, Dawkins is brilliant. I've heard him debate. He is incredibly smart. Um, but everything to him is about biology, creation and evolution. Or evolution is his pathway. Um, when he describes things like human emotion, uh, he's emotionless. In fact, he's on record of saying everything is just chemistry and uh, love is just hormones. In fact, um, when he describes the love he has for his wife, he uses terms like it's just chemistry, it's just animalistic tendencies. How about that, lady? Sounds like a great guy to be married to, right? Like just kind of a strange, strange view. And he tends to be the most toxic towards uh, the church. And actually, I just wanted to read a quote. This is what he thinks about what we're doing right now. This is a direct quote from The God Delusion. <laughs> he says, rival churches compete for congregations, not least the fat ties that they bring. And the competition is waged with aggressive, hard sell techniques of the marketplace. What works for soap flakes works for God, and the result is something approaching religious mania among today's less educated. Let me break that down for you. I think he took a shot at everybody in a couple sentences there. I mean, I think he took aim at, that's soap flakes, that's Amway. So took a shot at Amway in that statement. Oh, by the way, in case you missed it, I don't know how you could, but you're just, you're just religious mania. You're also the least educated people out there. And me, oh, I just use hard sell techniques to get at your fat tithes, right? Like, isn't, I mean, who's delusional in this statement, right? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, I want to ask my wife, like, hey, when's the last time I shook somebody down for their tithe? You know, like, I don't ever recall, like, never in my life. It's just, this is delusional, and I think this just shows you how far they are from what we share as the love and the grace of Jesus. I'm going to speed up here because I've got just two more left, and the next would be agnostics. Agnostics are people that, well, God may exist. God may be out there somewhere, but you can't really know for sure. And even if he does, it seems like God just isn't very interested in the problems of our day. So they tend to be kind of the group that rails against, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And they, they kind of become jaded and sort of, um, and then they use God sort of when it's convenient. So I don't know, I couldn't think of a better example, but these tend to be the people that, that kind of virtue signal or maybe give some lip service to God. I want to thank God for giving me this. And then the next sentence in their speech is usually like a profanity or something, and, and you just kind of shake your head like, wait, what, what do you actually believe? It's just sort of, it just kind of lands in this camp of gray. Last category are 
moralists, and I think this is a good place for us to end because this is maybe the type of thinking that sort of has this false idea that, well, all I got to do is be moral. And in fact, this is kind of a belief system that's really been growing for about the last 20, 25 years. In fact, um, I won't bore you, but there was an incredible bit of research that was done by a guy named Christian Smith. We're indebted to this guy. He he did the hard work of interviewing teenagers back in the late 90s, and he asked, the, asked them all these amazing questions about faith and church attendance and what do you see in your parents' faith that would interest you about God, and he captured like all their responses, and every state was covered in the United States. It just hit all these teens. And what's fascinating is he kind of came up with this phrase that these teens today fit in this camp of just being, big words, therapeutic, moralistic, deists meaning deism, they have a belief in God, but what they really believe in is just this idea that, well, God takes care of my, of my, my needs, my wants, my, my therapy session. And not only that, but if I really want to believe in God, all I have to be is moral. I have to just be a good person. And I give you all that background to say the teenagers in the 90s and 2000s are adults now, and they're finding their way into churches, and they're asking questions. I think they're asking brilliant questions, but they often come with this idea, well, I just have to be a good person. In fact, six out of ten would say that all I have to do in life to go to heaven is work hard, do well, and enjoy life however you want. And I wanted to end here because I really feel like in this message, salvation is, is the aim. That's where we're trying to point this thing. And I'll just be very clear, and I'll just say as I wrap up this message that heaven is not full of good people. It's full of righteous people. And I was really careful as I picked my words this week because this word righteous doesn't mean you're to be self-righteous, right? In fact, this word righteous isn't anything to do with our own righteousness. The Bible is really clear that no matter how hard you try, no matter how righteous you try to be before God, our righteousness is like filthy rags. In fact, the person who's right with God is the person who accepts, admits, things aren't right. The world's not right. I'm not right. All these other world religions aren't right. The only thing that is right, the only hope that I have, is for someone to take my place. For Jesus to be my hope, to be the good news, to be the gospel that makes things right between me and between God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and to share with us just an opportunity for you to, to just reflect on the righteousness that God gives you. In fact, throughout this series, I've given you a lot of information. In, in fact, you would say that a, a good sermon, I was kind of brought up in this teaching, that a good sermon has, has kind of like head, hand, and heart. It's got like a, an intellect component. I've given you lots and lots of information, probably too much. I've also tried to give you some, some handoffs, some things that you can do. Read your Bible. Know the truth of God. I've tried to encourage you to pray throughout this series. Pray to the Father and through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rest in what Jesus has done, not in what you do. But I think it's that last part, right? It's the heart. And I can't give you that in a sermon series. That's the part that I've been praying that you would have. You would have a heart for people who are trapped in dead-end religions and dangerous cults, and that in the crossroads of life, you would be the good news that they meet and get introduced to Jesus. 
So I'm gonna ask you just as the team is playing here that you would just take a few moments and as we pray and as you bow your heads, you would just ask God to bring to mind people that you could share this message with, the power of God that could bring salvation into their life. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I do pray in this church that you would give us a heart. And maybe, God, that you would just break our heart to see people not as categories or as belief systems or as religions, but to see people as your children and your creation. And may you fill us with the kind of boldness to speak the truth into the dark places that fill hearts and lives. And as difficult as that is, God, I pray that you would give us these opportunities not to be offensive, but to offer the gift of life that is only available through Jesus. That is my hope and that is my prayer over our community. God, would you use us in many ways in all the places that you take us? We love you and we praise you. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 